Hey there, this is Michael Burris. I'm the lead pastor of Summit View Church in Irving, Kentucky, and this is our podcast. I hope this podcast encourages you, I hope it inspires you, and I hope it helps you to start seeing your life from God's perspective. Thanks for joining us today. Now enjoy the message. So glad that you guys are here with us today. We are continuing our series. We're in week number four of our series, I Will Build My Church. And in this series, we're talking about God's plan for, the, for a broken world, that God's plan for a hopeless and a broken world has always been the local church, that it is His plan A, and it's not His plan B. God's plan A is still working in the earth today, and also... We're talking about how you were created to belong to a local church, to belong to God, and then to belong to this spiritual family that he's called us to be together. So last week, we talked about how you can heal from church hurt, and I think it was really um, a timely message that God gave us. I think that it's something that um, is desperately needed in our community. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, I encourage you go ahead and uh, you can find it on the website. You can find it on the podcast. I would encourage you guys to listen um, to that message if, uh, if that's something, if you're struggling with it or you know somebody that has struggled in the past or currently struggling with church hurt, it's a great message um, to listen to. And uh, next week, we're going to be talking about, we're going to be wrapping up our series, talking about a church that lasts, a church that leaves a legacy behind. Um, let's vi- revisit this morning. Our main passage for the series is found in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And it says this, the words of Jesus. He said, and I tell you, you are Peter. And Peter, remember, means rock. And then Jesus said, on this rock... I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. See, together, we're called to be the church. And what is the church? The church, that word that we, we went over a few weeks ago, that word is ecclesia. It's the Greek word that you find translated to church in your Bible. And ecclesia means a group, an assembly of people that are called out and into uh, a special mission, a special purpose for their gathering together. And so we are a people that have been called out of um, our past lives, of our past experiences, and we're called into the things that God has for us today. And today, we're going to be talking about a church that prays, a church that prays. You guys should have message notes in front of you. Um, I encourage you guys to go ahead and take notes this morning on that. What you write down, you're going to retain. And uh, so make use of that. Um, Question to start this morning off, though, um, and it's okay. The lights are real dark in here for most people. Um, How many of you would say that I don't pray as much as I should? Go ahead. I'm raising my hand. Um, I don't pray as much as I should. That's the majority of um, the population on planet Earth. And uh, I would say probably 100% of us, if we pray at all, we would say, I pray, but I don't pray enough. And we all agree that like prayer is a good thing, right? Like prayer, if, if I'm in relationship with Jesus, prayer is just one of these, the things that I'm supposed to do, but not just because of that, but I want to. I want to, to speak with him, to, to talk with Jesus. We can agree that it's a good thing. So why 
Don't we pray more? That's a good question I think we should answer right here in the beginning. Why don't we pray more? I've got a, a few reasons that I find through talking with different people. And they, they really it all, most of the time, boils down to one of these three things. The first one is that we lack focus in our prayer time. So like um, so many people, uh, we, we, we have this um, group that we call Start Here. And there's always, there's a, there's a week that we talk about the importance of prayer, the priority that God places on prayer. And one of the things that always comes up is um, I just can't focus when I'm, when I'm trying to pray. I, I sit down and I'm trying to go, you know, I'm trying to do the right thing. And then my mind just keeps on wandering. Anybody else in here, ADD, uh, just maybe you fall asleep while you, while you pray. I know people like that too. You just, you don't have, um, you lack focus. Or uh, a big one is also a reason people don't pray. We lack confidence. We lack confidence. We just don't really know how to do it. Like a lot of people, they say, I would pray, but I'm not really sure how to pray. We lack confidence. Am I doing it right? And especially it can be intimidating to you if you've ever been around someone who seems like they are a professional prayer. Like they just stand up and they just start rallying off this prayer. They're calling on the names of God, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, and you're like Jehovah Nisan Maxima, trying to fit in with them. And, uh, those are the Jewish names of God, not the Nissan Maxima. That's not the Jewish name of God. Um, I don't know what that means, but it's not anything that I know. So, but the, but they they're like these professional prayers, and they have this confidence. You're like, ah, man, I can't stand next to that. Why don't they let him pray again or her pray again? Because they really know what they're doing. You you lack this confidence. And you know what I've found though, by the way. Um, those people that are praying, a lot of times they'll pray like King James, like they're in a Shakespeare play, and, and God doesn't want you to pray in the King James, by the way, and they'll be praying, but really, it's just this rehearsed thing that they do. It's not that they're more confident in it than you are. They've just rehearsed it over and over and over, and maybe they're, they're lacking a power that your authentic prayer could have if you would just try. So we lack focus, we lack confidence, also we lack faith. A lot of people, we just lack faith when it comes down to it. Um, sometimes you pray and, and, and things happen, right? And, and then sometimes you forget to pray, and then the things that you forgot to pray for still happen anyways, and you're like, well, why would I pray then? Because it's going to happen anyways. Or other times you might pray really hard. You might pray really hard for something to happen, and you pray for it for a long time, and it, it just it never happens, or it may even get worse. And so your, your faith starts dwindling. You start wondering, why on earth? This is what God said to do. Why is nothing happening? Maybe as a kid, you prayed for your parents' marriage to work, and it just fell apart, and they got divorced. Maybe you prayed for your grandmother to be healed, and, and she passed away. And so you've just given up on praying because it seems to be that every time you do it, it just gets worse. And so your faith is hurting, and you lack this faith, and so you don't pray anymore. See, there is... Um, Jesus' disciples, he had lots of them, right? He had hundreds and hundreds of them, but there was these 12 main ones that he selected to walk with him in and out and through life for his ministry on, um, on earth was what many, most scholars believe that Jesus and his 12 disciples did ministry on the earth from, uh, for three years, from the age of 30 to 33 for him. 
Um, and so they're walking with Jesus. They're with him for, for three years. They lived with the guy. They did everything with him. I mean, there was, there was nothing that was hidden from their sight, these 12 disciples. And all throughout their journey, there was only one thing that they ever asked Jesus to teach them about. They didn't ask Jesus how to heal the sick. They didn't ask Jesus how to raise the dead. They didn't ask Jesus how to multiply the bread and the fish, to walk on water or to preach. Heck, they didn't even, at least they, you, you think they would have asked them, how did you change that water to wine, you know? Like some of y'all probably wondering if you could get in there, that would be the question you'd ask. Change that water to wine again for me. Teach me how to do, to do that thing. But, but all throughout their journey with Jesus, They only asked him one question, and it's found in Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. They asked him this. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And these guys were not unfamiliar with prayer. They, they had grown up in the Jewish system that, that like their whole lives growing up till, um, you know, for years and years were devoted to, to learning how to be a good Jew. And, uh, and so they, this wasn't something that was far from their knowledge. They, it's not like they didn't know how to pray, but there was something that must have been different about the way that Jesus prayed to where it struck him in such a way that this was the only question that's recorded in Scripture that they asked Jesus to teach them to do. He said, they said, teach us to pray. And so he goes through this whole thing, um, and, he, and he teaches them. But, but you'd think that if there was ever one person on the earth that wouldn't need to pray, it would be Jesus. Like, why? he was perfect. He's the Son of God. Why, would, why does he need to pray? He... he he should never, but, but let me show you throughout Scripture, Jesus prioritized the presence of God through prayer. He prioritized it. He made it a, a big deal. In fact, the Bible says that as was his habit, he went away up on the hillside, up on the hillside and prayed as was his habit. And so he made a big deal about it. He put a priority on it first thing in the morning. That, that was the first thing that he did was spend time with God through prayer. So you see in Luke chapter 3, verse 21, Jesus, before Jesus was baptized, he prayed. Luke 5, when the crowds were following him, Jesus prayed for him. Luke 6, when he chose his disciples, he prayed before he did it. He prayed in Luke 9 before he fed the 5,000. He, he prayed uh, in Luke... Again, in Luke chapter 9, before asking his disciples a question, before his encounter with Moses and Elijah and the transfiguration, he prayed again in Luke 9. In Luke 11, he taught his disciples how to pray. It goes on and on and on. And that's just one book of the Bible. He prioritized prayer. And then the early church that you can read about in the book of Acts, the very first church that God had assembled, they followed Jesus's example of prayer. In Acts chapter 1, they prayed before Pentecost, before they chose their leaders. Acts chapter 2, they prayed after the church grew to 3,000 people. Acts chapter 4, they prayed when they were persecuted for God to make them bolder, not for God to take away the persecution, for them, for them to be strengthened in it that they would be more bold. The uh, the apostles prioritized prayer in the ministry of the word. In Acts chapter 6, it says. In Acts chapter 8, they prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 9, they prayed for the sick. Acts chapter 10, they prayed for Cornelius and his whole family got saved. Acts chapter 12, they prayed for Peter to be released from prison, and he was. Acts chapter 13, they prayed. You guys get the picture? The early church prioritized the presence of God through prayer because it was modeled by Jesus. Prayer is a big 
deal. And if Jesus in the early church, your first church, felt like they could do nothing on their own and that they needed the Father's help, strength, guidance, why would we think we're any different? We need it. See, when all throughout your Bible, prayer wasn't optional. Prayer was like a non-negotiable in the life of a believer. In order to have a relationship with God, I've got to have a relationship with God that's found through prayer. So sometimes it's helpful, um, especially when you're discussing a topic that's been discussed for years and potentially it's been taught wrong, it's been given a bad name, um, it's more helpful, let's start with what prayer isn't this morning, okay? So what is, what is prayer not? This is what prayer isn't. Prayer is not formal. Prayer isn't formal like we talked about. You don't have to kneel down. You don't have to use King James language. You don't have to talk like Shakespeare was writing. Uh, and, and in fact, um, there's never one place in the Bible that, the, that it says that you would that they folded their hands in prayer. It's not a formal thing. Jesus doesn't want us to be formal with God. He wants us to be authentic. And so it's not a formal thing. He, he just wants us to be real. He wants us to really speak like, like I would speak to a friend. This is the way that God desires our prayers because this is real. This is how I would talk with anybody else and this is how I would talk with him. Prayer's not formal. Prayer's not wishing. Prayer is not wishing. It's not making a wish. God is not a genie and prayer is not the, the wish that you get from it. It's not that you put a, a coin into the machine and, and, and the right thing pops out. That's not prayer. That, what prayer is all about. In fact, if, if any of us ever find us in a spot where the only time that we pray is when we need something, you're in the wrong spot. Because prayer is more for relationship than it is for results. Prayer is not negotiation. And, and a lot of times, you see this in movies, you see it all over, that someone says, God, if you do this, I'll never do this again. Okay, God, if you just save me this one last time, here's one that I used to do all the time. God, if you just make me feel better, I will never drink again. You guys been there before? Anybody else? Just me? <laughs> you know you have. Don't lie in church. Yeah, Y'all worse than my drinking. I don't drink anymore, by the way. Just for the bloggers out there, I don't know where you are. We don't have bloggers. I just like to think that sometimes we have... Cut that out. Okay. Um... Prayer is not negotiation. You don't do something in order to get God to do something. And then finally, prayer is not to earn God's favor. Like the, like the people that have God's favor are not the people just that they've prayed more than everybody else. That's not it. In fact, God, God is no, the Bible says that God is not a respecter of persons. That means that if you find yourself in his family, he's not going to love me more than you because I'm up on stage teaching and, and, and you're not. Or he's not going to love you more than me because you spend five hours in prayer every morning and I only spend 45 minutes. There, it's not to win God's favor. It's to have a relationship with a God that's already given you favor. But now that we know what prayer isn't, we got to know what prayer is, and, and more importantly, I want to talk about why prayer is essential in our lives. Prayer is essential, number one, because prayer creates intimacy with God. Prayer creates intimacy with God. Imagine 
two different types of, of, of relationships, okay? The first one, you have two men that are in business together, right? They, they, own, they own a company together. They work together. They make money together. Their relationship is all business. And so probably every discussion that they have is, is to have to do with the ins and outs of that business. But now imagine two people who've fallen in love. They spend hours talking. Like, you're, like you know the, the nights you're on the phone till like sometimes you fall asleep with the phone on your ear because you just, you might not have even had anything to talk about. But you just wanted to talk. You just wanted to, uh, to speak with them. You lo- they love being together and there's no agenda to it. See, these are the two types of, of perspectives that we can take in our relationship with God when we talk about prayer. There's a difference there, right? Like, here's a question. Is God useful to you or is he beautiful to you? If, if God is just useful, then that means you're only going to talk to him when you need something. You're only going to talk to him when you could get something out of it. And if that's the case, then you're going to have to discipline yourself to pray. You're going to have to tell yourself, i got to do it this morning. got to get my hour in. got to do it or else I'm going to have a terrible day. And that's not God's desire. Do you pray to get something from God or do you pray to get more of God? That's the question. That's where our heart position has to be. That we shouldn't be praying because we can get something from God. We should be praying because we, um, be, because we want more of God in our lives. We want that relationship with Him to grow deeper and deeper and more intimate. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says this, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive His mercy and will find grace to help us when we need it most. We should be in this relationship with God to where we're constantly, we're not afraid to go to God. See, there's, there's, there's fathers out, out there listening to this right now, and, and I guarantee you, like, there might, maybe you're like a big wig at your job or whatever, and there might be people that are um, hesitant to come up to you. They're a little intimidated by you. But I promise you, it's just like that video that when COVID first started, that guy that was on the interview and his kid just busted in the room and started just running around behind him and stuff. Your kids, your kids are not intimidated. Well, some of, some of them need to be. Some of them are. Um, but your kids are going to come to you and ask you a question. If they ever need anything at all, they know they can come to you and ask a question, and they're not intimidated to ask. Sometimes they ask real crazy questions, too. I don't know what they might be, but share your stories later on our Facebook page. I'd love to hear them and read about them. Um, but, but they're not intimidated, and that's the relationship that God wants us to have, so that we should come to the throne with confidence, with a boldness, that we're not afraid to present our request to God, but that we know because He's a good Father that He wants to answer us. He wants to communicate with us. Married people, dating people, families, could you imagine walking around in your house all week, just all week, passing each other in the hallways, and the only time that you guys ever talk or spend time together is within a one-hour window Every week. Monday through Sunday, you only talk to your family in this one-hour window. And chances are you, you, you might not even do that. And you just pass each other in the hallway. That's not intimacy, right? In fact, that's not even a relationship. And yet, that's what we give to God sometimes. 
is we have this one hour carved out on Sundays, and the rest of the week we're just passing them in the hallway, not even talking to them, not even looking in his general direction. See, intimacy, intimacy when, you, when you pray, it creates this intimacy with God. It creates this deeper relationship with Him. And it's not just created with your Heavenly Father when you pray to Him. Also, it can be created with your spiritual brothers and sisters. There is an evangelist named Winky Pratney that, that said this, when you pray for someone, you're building intimacy with the one you're praying for. The one you're praying with and the one who you're praying to. So, so when we pray together, it not only builds intimacy with our Heavenly Father, it also builds intimacy amongst our church body. I keep, I keep getting scared. I'm going to fall on that thing. It, it creates intimacy amongst people as well when we pray together. Prayer creates intimacy with God. Number two, it's essential. Prayer is essential because it lifts our burdens. It lifts our burdens. Psalms chapter 55 and verse 22 says this, Cast your cares on the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. That word cast there literally means to throw it, to chuck it, to yeet, just yeet it. Really just, just throw your burdens and cares where it says cast your cares on the Lord. Your, those cares, it translates to the burdens that you bear. You're supposed to hurl those at God, to throw them as hard as you can. Get those burdens off of your back and throw it. God didn't design prayer to put a burden on you. He designed prayer to take a burden off of you. So you shouldn't be burdened about, God, I didn't pray enough today. I didn't, I didn't wake up early enough to do this. I didn't do that. It shouldn't be a burden on you. Prayer is designed to, be, to take the burden off of you. So I don't I don't get more, there's never one time that I've prayed about something and I've gotten more stressed about it. No, when I pray, I only ever get less stressed. You know, the Bible refers to Jesus as a shepherd. And, uh, and so that would mean that we're the sheep, right? The Bible refers to us as sheep as well. <coughs> and sheep are not burden-bearing animals. So like, what I mean is, an ox, that's a burden-bearing animal. Like you can hook up something to an ox and it will plow the field. It's a burden-bearing animal. That's what, that's what the word picture for this word burden is, that you can hook something up to it and it will plow the field. That's a big ox, or uh, you think of, of horses that can pull a, a carriage. She, have you ever seen... <laughs> Have you ever seen a sheep pull in a carriage? <laughs> I would love to, but I've not. Because sheep are not burden-bearing animals. You and I were not created to bear burdens. We weren't created to have the weight of the world on our shoulders. We're created to immediately unload that upon God. And the only way that we can do that is through prayer. And listen... You shouldn't even be unlo- you shouldn't even be necessarily unloading everything onto to like one person. Like if you if you go to someone else before you go to Jesus, you're asking that person to bear a burden that was never meant for them. So when trouble strikes, 
You shouldn't call somebody up on the phone. You should immediately go to Jesus. This is what prayer is all about. Unloading your burdens to him first. Life is so much better when you're not weighed down by, by the mistakes, by, the, by the, the things that are coming against you. God didn't create us to bear a burden. He created us to unload those burdens to him. Number three, prayer is essential because prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. See, most of our failures that happen in prayer are not because we're asking for too much, but it's because we're asking for too little. It's not because we're asking for these bold, audacious things that only God can do. No, a lot of times we don't realize how much God can change, and so we pray small prayers. We pray these little prayers. God, help me wake up in the morning so I can get to church on time. Some of y'all, that's a big prayer. Like, that's a bold prayer for some of y'all. I see you rolling in the second song, third song. You ain't slipping my view. I'm just kidding. I can't see you at all, actually. These lights, John can attest to that this morning. He got a, he got a dose. He got a dose up here. These lights are bright. But many of our prayers happen because we aren't asking for enough. We're just asking for too little. There's a story there's a story that, I don't know if this is, there's any kind of truth to it, but it's kind of passed down oral tradition and, and things like that about Alexander the Great. And so one day, Alexander the Great, he's standing there, one of his generals, he comes up to him and he said, you know, I've served you faithfully for years, and I've never asked you for anything, and so now I have one request. He said, what is it? The emperor replied, and, and the general said, I, I would like for you to pay for my daughter's wedding. And Alexander the Great replied, well, you've served me faithfully all these years. I'll happily pay for this wedding, so go and um, speak to my treasurer about it. And so a few days later, this treasurer came back to Alexander, and he said, you need to punish that general. And, and he's trying to take advantage of you. He's, he's requesting funds for the greatest wedding that this empire has ever seen. And he's invited everyone. He's taken advantage of your generosity and Alexander the Great said, no, I want you to give him everything he's asking for. The treasurer asked, why? Because my general is paying me two compliments. First, he thinks I'm wealthy enough to afford all of this. And then second, he thinks I'm generous enough to give it. What would happen if we started approaching God that way, knowing that he's wealthy enough to to make it happen, and he's generous enough to want to do it. We'd start praying big prayers. We'd start praying audacious prayers. See, I don't want us to be this big church that just prays these small prayers. No, I, let's pray such big, bold prayers that only God can get the credit when it comes to pass. See, one of the values here at Summit View Church, we got four family values, we call them. And one of those values is we want to be a church of bold faith. We want to trust God in ways that make us look crazy to everybody else. See, over the, over the, over the next couple of months, I think I probably need new batteries. Are we out completely? Over the next couple of months, I have a mission 
that I think God has given me and I think God has spoken to me as your pastor. And my mission over the next couple months through the, through the summer is that I want to build your faith. I want to build your faith to make you start trusting God for impossible things. The things that, that, ne- that you would never believe could happen in your life. I want to build your faith this summer to where you start praying bold prayers. Because you stopped asking God for little and you started asking Him for much. Jesus said this, He said, you have not because you ask not. You, I, I can't, I'm not giving it to you because you've never asked for it. That's the one reason. Not because you, you haven't prayed, in, not because you haven't worshipped me enough, because you hadn't gone to church last week, because you were vacationing, not because this or that. He said the only reason you don't have what you're asking for is because you're not asking for it. So, so I want to be a church that, 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 po- that prays these big, bold prayers. I want to tell you guys a story it happened just a couple days ago, and I want to raise your faith with this story because there is no way that this could be anything but Jesus. So just a couple days ago, I got this text message from someone that serves here on our crew, and, uh, and her papa was found on the floor of, her, uh, of his kitchen, and they, they didn't know what's happened. They, they called the ambulance and Amos rushed over, took him to the hospital, take him, took him to UK, and the doctors uh, determined that he had had a stroke. And he lost control completely of the right side of his body. And they said he's probably going to, he's never going to regain control of the right side of his body. And he's probably going to have to be on a feeding tube for the rest of his life. So she texted that. And uh, in the church, um, a, a group of us, we prayed. See, we have a, we have a Facebook uh, group for people that serve here on one of our teams, the crew page that is a private Facebook group. And so we post, you know, sometimes post prayer requests and things out there like that. And so we posted about this and people started praying. And uh, the next morning, I got this message. Um, she said, I don't, I don't, I can't explain what's happened, but this morning he's walking around And he hasn't had to put a feeding tube in yet. Where just less than 24 hours ago, the doctor said he's never going to be able to use the right side of his body again. And he's going to have to be on a feeding tube forever. Now I'm getting a text less than 24 hours later that said, the prayers of the church have worked. Because today, this morning, he's walking around like nothing ever happened. And he he doesn't have to be on a feeding tube. See, there's no explanation for that except that Jesus intervened in that moment. It wasn't a fluke of the doctor's diagnosis. The fact of the matter is prayer changes things. And I can tell you hundreds of stories, personal accounts, that, that, that I've been able to pray for people and, and crazy, amazing things have happened. Stuff that you probably wouldn't believe if you weren't there to see it. But prayer changes things. If you're in a rough spot, you got to trust God with it. Because if you pray it, something's going to happen. Something is going to happen. See, when we pray, when we do what's called, the Bible calls it petitioning God. That means we bring our requests before God. When we do that, the power of the kingdom of heaven, the power of God invades earth, and it has the power to change everything in that moment. 
And when the church prays together, things change. This is why we need to be a church of prayer. Because, hey, one prayer is great, but a body of believers that are praying together, believing the same thing, that's what changes things. God is calling us to be a people of bold faith. So when we're faced with trouble, prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. We shouldn't try everything else and then say, well, I've tried everything. I guess now I just, I just got to pray about it. No, prayer, prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. Acts chapter 12, verse 5 says this, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Peter was in prison and earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. And so in this story, what happens is the whole jail is shaken up. Peter ends up getting released, right? Like the doors pop open and, hey, Peter's, he's gone, he's out of there. The church earnestly prayed together and it made a way. There's a, there's a Puritan preacher from the 1600s, his name was Thomas Watson, and he said this, he said that the angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. So when we pray as the church, when we pray as a body of believers, it changes things. How many of you guys need a miracle or know somebody who does? Need something in your life? My question to you is, are you praying with expectation that it's going to happen? Or are you praying just because it's your last resort? When we pray, be filled with confidence that God hears you and that God wants to answer what you're asking. He wants to give it to you. You've got to pray with expectation because as the pastor of this church, I want the supernatural to become natural to us. Jesus has called us out for so much more than just to continue to live life like we used to. He has given us the power of the kingdom of heaven. And he's asking us to release it everywhere that we go on the earth. Prayer changes things. And then finally, why is prayer essential? Number four, prayer is essential because prayer expands the church. It expands the church. Now listen, we're not all about like filling butts in these seats here. Like that's great, but I'll, and, I'll, and I'll tell you why. Because every butt in the seat on a Sunday is another person that gets to hear the gospel. But when I say that prayer expands the church, I'm not just talking about Summit View. I'm talking about God's church on the earth. Prayer, prayer expands it. <clears throat> Over the last 10, 20 years, you guys probably don't realize this because in America, the church attendance in Christianity is on the decline. But everywhere else in the world, this, that is not the case. Everywhere else in the world, there's more people that are being brought to the faith than there are that are dying. The church is, is gaining ground. And I'll tell you, if, if the world keeps going like it is right now, we're about to probably hit a period where that 
where, where the expansion of the church is in a recession. We've had a, an amazing 20 years. But we're about to hit a point where I believe that, that the global church is not going to be growing like it has been in the past 20 years. See, the forces of hell, the power of hell is pushing back harder than it, it ever has before. But this is a time that the church needs to rise up more than ever. This is a time where the church needs to rise up and pray that not only here in Estill County, God knows we need it. Not only here in Kentucky, God knows we need it. Not just here in America, God knows we need it. But all over the world, there are people that are dying for their faith. There are people that are having to meet in basements at 4 a.m. so nobody hears them worshiping God. More than ever, the church needs to be praying. Mark chapter 5, Jesus is on a boat with his disciples and this storm breaks out. And it's raging and everybody's scared and Jesus says three words. He says, peace, be still. And at the end of the storm, Jesus gets out of this boat and he goes on to land and then he meets this demon-possessed man. Like, that's actually a real thing. You don't just, it just doesn't happen in the movies. Like, it's a real thing that Jesus actually calls us to be the, the people that handle it for him. And so Mark chapter 5, verse 9 and 10 says this. Jesus is approaching this man, and he was asking him, he said, what's your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he began begging him repeatedly not to send them out of the region. Why? Because there were 6,000 demons that had taken and began building strongholds in that region. They'd begin, they, they'd begin bringing their evil there. And, and this story was, it just, you see one man that had been demonically possessed, but it, wasn't, it was never about just that one man. It was about the land. See, we're in a battle. Right here where you live, wherever you live, you're in a, a battle. You're in a battle for your kids. You're in a battle for your marriages. You're in a battle for your neighborhood, for your schools, for your workplaces, for your cities. But when Jesus stepped into this region, all of hell was put on notice. Legion was begging him, don't, don't cast us out of here. Don't, don't make us leave this region. We got some work we're doing here. When we start praying, like God wants us to start praying, all of hell should be put on notice that it can't, it can't stay here anymore. Mark chapter 15 going on from that story says this, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with Jesus. Jesus had freedom from his possession and, and this dude was wild. He was like, this dude was naked. He was cutting himself with rocks. He was just, he was wild. And he, he got in, the Bible says that when Jesus cast the demons out of him, he's, he did it with one word. And then the man was made in his right mind. And he came to Jesus and he was begging to go with him. But Jesus said this, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord's done for you and how merciful he's been. 
So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region, and he, pro- he began to proclaim the great things that Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed at what he told him. Guys, there's a region that needs to hear what God has done in you. There's a reason, or there's a region that needs to hear what God has done in your life. And I want us to return to that, our key verse for this series. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 says, Jesus says, And I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And you know, every time that I would think of this, this, this passage here, I thought that the church was on the inside being protected. But you know, it hit me one day. What are gates meant for? Gates aren't, gates aren't offensive. Gates are defensive. Gates are meant to keep things out. And so when Jesus says the gates of hell won't prevail... He's not saying that you're going to make it because the hell is going to stop advancing on you. It means that the gates of hell are not going to stand up to the advancement of the church, the power of Christ that's moving. See, the gates of hell are meant to be defensive. That means we're supposed to be on the offensive. We're supposed to be pushing back against hell. We shouldn't be sitting and waiting for the next wrong thing to happen to us and the next hard moment to hit our lives. We should be constantly advancing God's kingdom through prayer, through fellowship, through worshiping together. We should be pushing back the demonic strongholds of this region what Jesus is saying here is that hell's not going to be able to plunder our kingdom what, he's, what, what Jesus is saying is that Satan's not going to keep us from plundering his there's no way that he can stop us if we're equipped in the power of the Holy Spirit there is no way that Satan can keep us from plundering his kingdom. See, here's what I want in Esther County. I want us to make it real hard to go to hell here. I want us to, to pluck people out of hell and place them right into the kingdom of heaven. We should be advancing our territory. Hell's, hell has set up gates around the entertainment industry, around education, around your family. Hell doesn't want God's people to get in. Because if we get in, we could have the authority to make a difference. But when the church prays, you go from playing defensive to playing offensive. You're starting to push back. Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, Jesus says this, and this is something that should build confidence in you. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. God is waiting for someone to use the keys that he's given us. The authority that God's given you, the influence that God's given you, the power that God's given you, the life change, the story the friends, the family that God has given you. He's given you the, king, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And he's just waiting for you to use them. Prayer is essential. Because it creates intimacy with God. 
It lifts our burdens. It changes things. And it expands the church. See, I hear over and I hear all the time, I just don't have enough time to pray. My day's full. I don't have time to pray. I'd, I'd like to propose this to you. You don't have time not to pray. Well, thanks for joining us today. I pray that this message had an incredible impact on your life. If you want more information about our church, you can check us out online at summitview.online. We hope we get to see you on a Sunday very, very soon. But until then, have a great week.